0: They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, it was a pretty quiet week on the economic front last week, but it was a busy week for me, which is why I didn't get around to recording any of these podcasts, but I wanted to get one first thing Monday morning. You know, the Dow is under some pressure. We're down about 170 points as I am recording. That's on the back of a breakdown in European talks with Greece over the weekend. So the European bourse is very weak. This is the lowest I've seen the Dow uh, since early uh, May. We're 17,730-ish, and, you know, we were above 18,000 not too long ago. We're still—we're just about flat. We're down maybe close to 100 points on the year. But, you know, there is a lot of, uh, you know, room for the market to decline as long as Fed QE rate hikes or Fed rate hikes are on the table. And, you know, the Fed is going to be meeting. Its uh, open market meeting begins tomorrow. It ends on Wednesday. We get the announcement. Remember, for a long time, everybody thought June was when the Fed was going to announce their first rate hike. Although I think when the year, year began, people were divided between whether they would hike in March or June. Of course, I said they wouldn't hike at all. Now, even most of the June camp has thrown in the towel. I think the consensus is that the Fed is going to hike rates in, uh, in September, But I think as we get through July and August and the weak economic data continues to roll in, we're going to continue to push back those rate hike estimates, maybe to December. But of course, you know, if they don't raise rates in December, why are they going to raise them in 2016? I think 2016 could be a weaker economic year than 2015, which sequentially will be down from 2014. And it will also be an election year. So if they couldn't raise rates in 2015, why would they do it in 2016 when you have all that po- political backdrop uh, that is clouding uh, decision-making? Of course, right? the Fed doesn't want to be seen as trying to influence the elections or help or hinder any particular party, so they may decide to be neutral. Of course, there are a lot of other reasons why the Fed is not going to be raising rates. In fact, I think they're going to be launching QE, QE4, In fact, I'm not the only person thinking that. I read this article this morning in uh, Bloomberg. It's entitled Bank of America. The biggest risk to global stocks is exactly the opposite of what most people think. And quoting from the article, it says, while most are focused on the risks around a withdrawal of liquidity, we believe the biggest hit to confidence would be the opposite if another round of U.S. QE is necessary to prop up the economy. Now, That is exactly what's going to happen. Now, it's not necessary, not to prop up the economy, but it is necessary to sustain the bubble, which is creating the illusion, right, of a propped-up economy. They're propping up a phony economy. They're keeping a house of cards from collapsing. But, of course, all house of cards collapse eventually. And the sooner this phony economy collapses, the sooner we can start building a real one. Let me read a little bit more. While the market could have a knee-jerk rally, on an indication of forthcoming stimulus, right? I've been saying that one of the reasons we might get QE4, we will get QE4, is to prop up the market. We think this would likely be short-lived. Remember, this is Bank of America. And could end in the red. QE fatigue is already evident. Each subsequent round of QE has been seen as diminishing risk rallies. Another round of QE would imply that the $4.5 trillion was not enough. Well, <laughs> It's, it's not a case of it not being enough. You can never have enough QE because it can never work. The problem is we had too much QE, right? It's kind of like somebody saying, you know, I wonder if I've had enough alcohol yet to sober up. Because, right? you know, I've been drinking a lot of alcohol. I wonder if I drank enough that now I'm going to get sober. No, see, it doesn't work, right? But the way Wall Street is going to look at it, it'll be like, God, you know, I've been drinking all this alcohol and I'm still not sober. I, I better drink some more. Right. This is what's going on with QE. But here's another interesting point that this uh, Bank of America makes. Of course, it's the same point I've been making for a long time and it would also likely have a negative read through for QE programs currently underway in Europe and Japan. What they mean by that is that Europe might second guess the wisdom of doing QE. After all, Europe launched QE and, and Japan, of course, is continuing with QE based on the success that it's had in America. But that success is a lie. And if we have to come back with QE4, then maybe the Fed won't figure out that it didn't work. But I think the Bundesbank will. I think the Bundesbank will be able to pressure the ECB by saying, look, it didn't work in America. The Yanks are doing it again. They're doing QE4. So it didn't work because they couldn't stop, and now the balance sheet is going to grow. And if they couldn't shrink a four and a half trillion dollar balance sheet, how are they going to shrink a six billion dollar, an eight billion, or ten billion, or trillion? Why? What am I talking about? Billion, trillion dollar balance sheet. So all this stuff, though, that Bank of America is talking about, I've been talking about for over a year. And this is how here he says this is not our base case, but is the risk that seems to be getting the least attention. Yeah, yes, because the media is ignoring me. This is all I've been talking about. And Bank of America says, look, we don't think this is the most likely scenario, but it is possible. You know, it's not just that it's uh, not likely. It is the most likely. In fact, I think it is inevitable. It is a foregone conclusion. There is no other policy that the Fed could pursue but QE4, even if they do slightly raise interest rates prior to launching it, they're going to launch it. Because if they don't raise interest rates, we're going back into recession. And if they raise interest rates, we're going back into recession quicker if we're not already there. And of course, what is the only medicine that the Fed will prescribe for a recession? And that's QE especially when interest rates are already at zero. Even though that toxic medicine is the reason the economy is so sick, it's not going to stop the witch doctors at the Fed from administering another round. You know, we've got more evidence of the weak economy out today. We got the Empire State Manufacturing Index. New York, again, if you're, if you're a little confused by what exactly is manufactured in an Empire State, join the club, not that much. But everybody looks at this, uh, this indicator. The consensus forecast was for an increase of 5.9 following the very weak number that we got for May, 3.08. The range of estimates was from plus 4 to plus 8. We came in at minus 1.98. Minus 1.98. Complete opposite direction of what was expected. This is the lowest level for that index since January of 2013. Not January this year or January last year, but January over two years ago. And this is the eighth miss in nine months. I mean, you would think these guys would get the message by now. They keep overestimating this uh, manufacturing number. This is now the eighth time in nine months that they've gotten it wrong. But it wasn't just the June Empire State number that disappointed and confounded the experts. Also, we got May industrial production. Now, the April number was already weak. It was minus 0.3. They expected a rebound to plus 0.2. Some people thought it might go as high as plus 0.5. The lowest estimate by anybody was plus 0.1. And we ended up getting minus 0.2, minus 0.2, right? Another unexpected decline and adding insult to injury. They took last month's minus 0.3 and and they ratcheted that up or down to minus 0.5. So April was weaker than they first thought. And then May was a lot weaker because they thought it would go up. Number went down. Everything was weak. Uh, capacity utilization dropped from 78.3 last month to 78.1. Manufacturing down uh, 0.2 versus expectations of up 0.3. The first number I gave was production. Everything about this number was weak. In fact, If you look at the year over year increase now in industrial production, it's only 1.37%. That's the weakest year over year gain since January of 2010. Well, that's over five years ago. And industrial production itself, that data point has now been negative for four out of the last six months. So all this information, all this negative information coming out, yet the currency markets are still looking at the Fed to raise rates because they believe the rhetoric about how strong this recovery is. Well, look, you got this loan analyst now at Bank of America who's daring to say maybe the emperor has no clothes, right? He's still saying that we think he's, got, he's wearing something, but it's possible he's naked. Well, it's going to go from it's possible that he's naked to, oh, my God, he's not wearing any clothes. The guy's completely naked. That's what they're going to be saying. You know, we got some data that came out last week. Let me try to remember some of it, the highlights or the lowlights. You know, we got a number that was better than expected on consumer spending in May. And it was up 1.2 percent. Everybody said, oh, this is great. Of course, they were expecting up 1.3, so 1.2 is a little bit less than they thought. But it was because the number was very weak in April, so we got a bounce back. But get this, the biggest reason for the jump was the 11.8% rise in gasoline prices. See, that was the biggest monthly increase in the price of gas since June of 2009. So, you know, it's funny how initially they told us, hey, it's great news for consumer spending Gas prices are down, so now consumers have more money to spend on other stuff, right? That was supposed to be good news. But now that gas prices are surging and consumers are forced to spend more money for gasoline, hey, that's good news too, because it means that consumer spending is up. On the weekly jobless claims, we did get a slight uptick. 297,000 exceeded the forecast, but claims rose, continuing claims rose by 61,000. Uh, to 2265000 That was the biggest jump in, uh, in continuing claims in six months. So this, this data point has been one of the lone data points that the experts have been able to point to as being a positive. I've, I've talked about why, in some cases... It's not as rosy as people think when they look at some of the reasons for the lack of layoffs being the lack of hirings to begin with, which makes those numbers suspicious. But now we're starting to see a little chink in that armor here, too, as uh, that series is starting to weaken. Also, we got the Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index. I've been talking about this record because as of last week, we were down eight consecutive weeks. That has never happened in the history of the index going back over 30 years So we got the number last week. And, yep, the string is extended for another week. It is now nine consecutive declines. The Bloomberg Consumer Comfort Index is now at 40.1. That's the lowest reading since November. And, in fact, in that survey, they measure the propensity of Americans to buy stuff. And it just had its biggest decline since the financial crisis of 2008. So if the economy is in such good shape, why are consumers so hesitant or reluctant to spend? Well, one reason might mean just a lack of capacity to spend. They, just, they want to, but what's holding them back is an absence of money or an absence of credit because they're loaded up with debt already because they bought a bunch of stuff they couldn't afford in the past that they still haven't finished paying for. Plus, they don't have a good job. They used to have a full-time job, and now they have a part-time job. And that part-time income just doesn't cut it, especially with their rent going up, their food costs going up, their health care costs going up. You have all these other problems uh, that nobody wants to acknowledge that are undermining the capacity of Americans to spend. Now, I'm sure they have the willingness to spend. I mean, anybody has the willingness to spend. We all want to buy stuff. Uh, The thing is, most People need to know that just because you want something doesn't mean you go out and buy it, right? Especially if you don't have the money and you don't have the income, you need to delay that desire for instant gratification. But of course, you know, the American economists, they want Americans to act like a bunch of children. They don't want anybody delaying anything. They want us to go out and indulge ourselves. And the extent to which Americans are willing to throw caution to the wind and spend borrowed money, right, buy stuff they can't afford, everybody thinks that's great. I mean, I think it's good news that Americans are spending less, and the good news is going to get a lot better in that sense. They're going to be spending a lot less, and that's something that uh, the Wall Street crowd and the Fed still doesn't understand. But, of course, to try to get us to spend, even though we shouldn't be spending, we are going to be launching QE4. Now, again, we're going to get this FOMC statement out on Wednesday. And I might do a video blog. I haven't done a video blog in a while. I've been, again, I've been very, very busy with work-related stuff. So I haven't had as much time for uh, the podcasting, video blogging, but I think I want to do one because I haven't done one in a while. And so probably the announcement that we're going to get on Wednesday from the FOMC and the market reaction Potentially could be something significant, so be on the lookout for a video blog. Hey, meantime, also a lot of people have mentioned to me that they miss the the call-ins from the radio show, the ability to call in and ask me a question, and and also we used to for our premium members, we used to have uh, questions and answers that you know people would call in and I would answer them, and so a lot of people miss that. So I'm going to start to try to reintroduce that through the podcasts. So if you go to shiftradio.com, you'll notice on the left side, there's a little uh, microphone or it says, Ask Peter Schiff a Question. And if you click on that, it'll bring up a, a, a microphone and you can record a question. And if I like your question and I like, uh, you know, the way you state it, then I will use it. So when we do, a, I'll do a podcast, I'll do Q&A podcasts. And, and so we'll take the best questions and we'll play them on the podcast and then I'll answer them. And so I'll add that as an additional feature. So again, it's a little blue uh, rectangle that's on the left side of your screen, picture of a microphone, ask Peter a question, click on it, it'll bring it up. And then if, as long as you got a microphone in your computer, you can speak into your computer, the, your question will be recorded and then you can listen to the video blog for my answer. Hey, one other quick note, Euro Pacific Bank, we are looking to hire a tech savvy guy. Uh, It would be a salary position, but with the potential for bonus. Because uh, the work that you're doing, we would be able to tie it into revenue. The better you do the job, the easier it would be for the bank to generate revenue. But it is not a sales job. It is not a commission job. But we will be able to kind of measure how effective you're performing your job. Because if you're doing a good job, uh, there will be more revenues generated by the bank. And so we could have a bonus structure. It's, it's probably better if you don't live in the United States. I mean, if you do live here, it's, you know, we'll still consider you. But ideally, it's probably better for you to live outside the United States. But again, you could live in the United States if you were far and away the best candidate. But I got to tell you, hiring people outside the United States, much more preferable from a business point of view than hiring people in the United States. You do need to speak English. So that's that, That's a requirement, although proficiency in other languages would be helpful. But probably the best skill would be technology. Having some knowledge of finance and economics and believing in the Peter Schiff story, that helps as well. All that stuff is good, but you got to be bright and you got to be willing to work on your own because the job, you're probably going to be working from your home. Wherever in the world you happen to live, you'll be at home. And so you need a phone, you need a computer. Uh, And you need to be able to be somewhat self-motivated because you don't you're not going to have a supervisor standing over you, making sure you're at your desk. But there is a lot to be done. But I think it could be a rewarding uh, job, both intellectually and financially for the right candidate. So send me uh, a resume if you are interested. You can just send it to me and I'll forward it to the appropriate person at the bank. My email address is P Schiff, S-C-H-I-F-F, P-S-C-H-I-F-F at Europac.net. I bet you didn't know that without silver, you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now or be able to use a computer at all. From laptops to smartphones to TVs to speakers, virtually all modern electronics use silver to conduct electricity. Did you know that the average solar panel uses two-thirds of an ounce of silver to function? And the solar industry is expanding dramatically, not just in America, but in booming developing nations like China and India. Silver is naturally antibacterial and is used extensively in modern medicine. Silver coatings are being added to breathing tubes, bandages, catheters, and other medical instruments to reduce the spread of infections. When antibiotics fail... Silver still works. I believe the 21st century will be the century of silver. As fiat currencies continue to collapse and new uses are found for silver every day, the white metal's strong industrial demand and low per ounce price will make it increasingly attractive to savers around the world. At today's prices, people of any age and background can afford to buy some silver. Learn why silver is a smart and reliable investment in my free special report, The Powerful Case for Silver. Visit shiftsilver.com. And download it now. The Powerful Case for Silver includes information about silver's amazing chemical properties. It also explains why I believe silver may outperform gold in the coming years. Download the Powerful Case for Silver and educate yourself, your friends, and your family about the white metal. Just visit ShiftSilver.com to download my free report. That's ShiftSilver.com.